أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حيا على الصلاة حيا على الصلاة الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد my dear brothers and sisters in Islam, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. We begin with a reminder that we should all have taqwa in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which means that we should be conscious of Allah, we should fear Allah, and we should protect ourselves from Allah's anger and His punishment and His wrath. As He tells us in the Quran, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu. اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون. He says, O oh, you who believe, have taqwa in Allah, as He's worthy of having taqwa in. And don't allow yourself to pass except that you're in a state of Islam or a state of loving submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And on this blessed day of Jum'ah, and at this still very pivotal, very difficult, very painful moment for our Ummah, we ask Allah to send an abundance of peace and prayers upon our most beloved Muhammad. Allahumma salli wa sallim ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Allahumma salli wa sallim ala Sayyidina Muhammad. 
اللهم صلي وسلم وبارك وأنعم على حبيبنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد Leading up to the Treaty of Hudaybiyah which for those who may have forgotten or don't know was one of the few treaties that our beloved Messenger وسلم, entered into during his lifetime and he entered into it with Quraysh those who had so firmly stood against him in the lead up to that treaty there were several rounds of negotiations between Quraysh and Muhammad they prevented him militarily from getting into Mecca he was going there peacefully in the garb of Umrah to do Umrah with his companions and they sent Khalid ibn al-Walid and some other soldiers to block their path and so the Prophet camped out and essentially began this back and forth negotiation trying to win them over so that they can let him in and now this was already a very desecrating act by Quraysh because there was a common understanding among the Arabs that it didn't matter what difference you had between two tribes if someone was coming to the house of Allah for worship you don't stop them as some of the Sahaba later explained after they became Muslim, we would see the killer of our fathers doing tawaf and we wouldn't hit him, we wouldn't touch him, we wouldn't curse him. If you're coming to Mecca, it was an accepted thing even in pagan Arabia. Tribal warfare stops at the gates of the Haram. But when it came to Muhammad and his followers, they were unwilling to give him this respect. And so the Prophet begins this back and forth. And the first ambassador or one of the first ambassadors that Quraysh sent to our beloved Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam was a man not from Quraysh but from Thaqif, from the town of Ta'if that had stoned our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam out right before his migration. His name was Urwa. And Urwa convinced Quraysh, he said, you know I'm on your side but I'm detached from the situation a little bit. Perhaps I can speak some sense into him on your behalf. And so they allowed him to go. And as he begins his negotiation with our beloved Messenger وسلم, he looks around the room at the companions sitting with our beloved. And he says, Ya Muhammad, who do you think these people are? I don't recognize these men around me. The moment they see you de defeated, they will run from you. Now what was he talking about? Arabia, its guiding, one of its guiding philosophies was tribalism. As they used to say, Give victory to your brother if he is the oppressed or the oppressor. Blood is thicker than everything else. Family ties, tribal ties are really at the top of the food chain when it comes to our values. Yeah, we can talk about justice, we can talk about generosity, we can talk about protecting the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but really at the end of the day, that dividing line comes down to tribal lineages. So when Urwa looked around at what in his mind was a hodgepodge of men from different tribes, he couldn't fathom that these men would stand with someone like Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, with a Qurashi, when they weren't Qurashi themselves. Now the Sahaba had already proven him wrong. This was after Badr, this was after Khandaq, this was after Uhud. They had proven him wrong already, but he didn't, it still hadn't hit him yet. 
And this so angered the Sahaba that one of them cursed at this man in front of the Prophet And it was none other than Abu Bakr anhu, the greatest of this ummah, was so angered by this statement that we would run from Allah and His Messenger that he cursed at Urwa. And Urwa says to Abu Bakr, if it wasn't for the fact that I owed you a favor from the days before Islam, I would have responded, but I'll keep my mouth shut. And he continues in his back and forth with Muhammad He makes some undefined accusations about the Prophet, biased accusations. You, we've never seen someone do worse to their tribe than you, O Muhammad. We've never had an Arab destroy kinship the way you destroyed kinship. We've never had an Arab try to destroy the religion of the Arabs the way you have. And Muhammad would just respond to everyone patiently and calmly. I didn't come to destroy kinship, I came to make it strong. I didn't come to destroy their religion, I came to make it better. I came to bring them truth. I came to bring them back to the religion of Ibrahim And then, as they're getting close to the end of their negotiations, Urwa is trying as hard as he can to convince Muhammad to listen to him. And so he tries to grab his beard. This was a sign among Arab men when they were negotiating it's a sign of mutual respect, like intimacy. Listen to me, we're close to one another. And he reached out his hand to grab the beard of our beloved, and he found the butt of a sword hit his hand down. And he reached back out, and he saw the sword hit him again. And he reached a third time, and the sword hit him a third time, and then the man behind the mask holding the sword said, if you reach your hand out again, you won't get it back. So Arwa was angered. And he said, who's this voice speaking to me this way? And the man says proudly, it is Mughira, al-Thaqafi. His own nephew, one of his great nephews, was the one holding the sword, now threatening him, if you try to touch the hairs of our beloved, I will chop your hand off. And I'll come back to the story of Mughira in a little bit, inshallah. And so Urwa ends his negotiation with our beloved messenger unsuccessfully, and he goes back. And then he leaves Quraysh to go back to his town and he makes a few interesting comments. The first thing he says to them is, I have visited Caesar. I have visited Kisra in Persia. And I have visited An-Najashi in Ethiopia. And I swear by Allah, I've never seen a man venerated by his followers the way the companions of Muhammad venerate Muhammad and he went on to describe some of the things he saw. But look at where he began. He began with this belief that these people will run from you the moment they see you losing, they'll run back to their tribes. And by just a few moments later, not even half a day had gone by, he's telling them, I've never seen men so in love with another man than the companions of Muhammad are with Muhammad how thoroughly destroyed was this idea of tribalism in the hearts of our beloved, our beloved companions, of our beloved Muhammad And then he says something else, interestingly enough. He says, Ya Quraysh, you know my heart is with you. But I have to say, this man came in peace, he's not wearing his weapons, and he came with the sacrificial animals to slaughter at the house of Allah to feed the poor. It's not of our customs that he should be blocked. He went in to negotiate on their behalf. He leaves telling them, 
you are wrong in this instance. You should have let Muhammad Sallallahu in. Now I open with this story because it's one of many, but it's one that I think brings into sharp focus the reality of Arabia at the time and just how successful Muhammad was in rooting out some of their evils. Nothing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does is by accident. We have to all ask ourselves, why? Why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will that his final prophet, his final message was revealed among a people that were so steeped in this idea of tribal lineage and tribal hatred. And you know what? Our Prophet ﷺ gave us the answer. He says in a hadith, there are four traits that will remain after my passing. The first two are relevant to us today. He says the first is a man will boast about his lineage to give him preference over another man. And the second is a man will denigrate the lineage of another man to put him below him. Meaning, one of the things that will remain even after Muhammad Sallallahu has left this earth is this disease of tribalism and arrogance. This belief that one human being is better than another because of factors that he has absolutely no deciding hand in. You didn't choose who you were born to. You didn't choose the color of your skin. You didn't choose what tribe you belong to, what village you belong to, what last name you have, what culture you were given. All of that are gifts from Allah. But somehow mankind has this weird evil that lurks in its heart. That makes people believe that they are somehow greater simply by these inalienable or material factors that have no real bearing on anything. Now I open with this because I know there's a lot of evil that we're seeing. We're seeing death by the hundreds. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala destroy those murderers. We're seeing hatred, corruption. We're seeing entire populations being wiped off the earth. And what's worse, we're seeing it celebrated. But at the root of so much of this ugly hatred and murder is this idea that some groups of people are just naturally better than others. You see it in the dominant philosophy that's now running over the holy lands. You see it in that group of people when they can stand up and unabashedly say that all of these people in Gaza, they're just animals. They're human beasts. Where they can unabashedly say, I don't see, you keep asking me about innocent civilians, I don't see innocent civilians. You keep telling me I'm inhumane, I don't see humanity in Gaza. They're saying this unabashedly. What is this if not this disgusting ugliness of tribalism coming back to the surface? And you see it in the way some of the powers of this world and many people of this world have convinced themselves that the life on one side of this, con on this conflict is not equal to the life on the other side. Where they can say in the same breath, how dare you, how dare you not condemn the killing of an innocent uh, Israeli. But then in the same breath ask you, what do you expect them to do other than drop bombs on innocent civilians? What is a proportional response? As if somehow there's a proportional response. As if the response to crime is more crime. As if the response to murder is more murder. This is tribal mentality. 
This is racism. This is bigotry. This is the idea that there is a group of people on this earth that are somehow just destined and naturally defined, created as better than others, more worthy than others. It's why they always, people from that land, from that philosophy, that are spreading this murder and corruption in Allah's holy, sanctified land, always send out people of white skin and light eyes to the media. They know what they're doing. They're playing their propaganda. You all know what I'm talking about here. And I wanted to highlight yet again, nothing, absolutely nothing, has a success record at defeating bigotry and defeating tribalism and defeating this type of racist hatred than la ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. Nothing has that success rate. Our own country has struggled with this very evil since its inception and founding. And it's not limited to our country. The entire Western world has struggled with this reality. Every colonized people will tell you that those who colonized them had written in their Bill of Rights that all men are created equal. But it was clear from day one, when they said all men, they meant a specific race of man. You had to look a certain way. You had to be from a certain area of the earth. You had to have their manifest destiny, as they used to call it. It was their destiny, God-given, to civilize the world. And they still, to this day, struggle because you can't root it out. You cannot root out this hatred simply by writing some new laws on a book. If you could, this country would have left it behind decades and centuries ago. The only thing that roots out this ugly, disgusting reality of human existence is La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. This is what took someone like Umar radiallahu anhu, who left his home that morning, that fateful morning, looking to kill Muhammad wasallam. The reason why he wanted to kill him was, in his mind, he's destroying the tribes of Arabia. He's denigrating our tribes. To where Umar anhu, when he becomes the Khalifa, cannot sleep at night. Not over the human beings that are suffering in his land, but the idea that an animal, a donkey would suffer in his land. That's the transformational power of La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah. Where Urwa sits with Muhammad for a few moments and goes from telling him, these people will flee from you, O Muhammad, to a few moments later saying, I've never seen a group of people more rallied around a man than this. And you are all witnessing that reality today. Black, white, yellow, doesn't matter, rich, poor, across the world. Muslims of every single nation, ethnicity, background, all feeling the pain of their brothers and sisters in Gaza. Do you see any other philosophy on earth, any other belief system on earth that so uprooted this evil the way La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah uprooted it? Now I know there are other evils that are at the source of this conflict. There's greed. There's a desire for power. There's a desire for resources. There's ego. There's nafs. I recognize that fully. But the way it has become supported so widespread is through this disease of tribalism. It's why some people, no matter how much you show them the truth, will not believe the truth. 
because they have predisposed themselves. If it's said by someone who's a Muslim, someone who's brown, someone who's Palestinian, it can't be the truth. And that's why I want to bring us back to the story of Mughira. And then we'll go to break, inshallah. That man who was holding the sword that hit down Urwa's hand all those times, how did Mughira radiallahu anhu get to be around Muhammad sallallahu He was from the tribe of Thaqif. He was from the tribe of Urwa. But he was a criminal. He was a bandit. He was a highway robber. He had a gang that would leave Ta'if and it would raid caravans and steal and then come back. And one day, things got out of hand and he ended up, him and his gang, killing quite a few people in their raids. And his tribe, in order to defuse the blood war that was about to start, had to pay a massive amount of money to the victim tribe. And so Mughira was exiled because he was so detested by his tribe. And eventually, in his exile, he found his way to Medina. And he found his way to our beloved messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa And he took his shahada at the hands of our blessed, beloved Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And our beloved told him, as for your Islam, we accept it. And your sins are now washed away. But your money, we cannot take it. It's haram. You earned it through oppression, through criminality. We cannot accept it. So Mughira let it all go and began anew. I know there are other evils at the source of this conflict. But even those evils, nothing can uproot the evil that we're seeing. The corruption that we're seeing, the death and destruction that we're seeing, the wanton celebration of this destruction, nothing will uproot it other than La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. Wa qulu qawli hadha wa astaghfiru al-azim li wa lakum ya fawzan mustaghfirin astaghfirullah. Inna alhamdulillah. نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا أما بعد You know my dear brothers and sisters there's a reason why our beloved Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam mentioned this reality in his final sermon when he said there is no Arab who is greater than a non-Arab and no non-Arab that is greater than an Arab and he said, there is no black that is greater than a white, or a white that is greater than a black. All of these slogans of the jahiliyyah, of ignorance, have been taken away from you. All of you are the children of Adam, and Adam is from dirt. And then he recited that very powerful, famous ayah from Surah Al-Hujurat. Ya ayyuhan nas, إِنَّا خَلَقْنَاكُمْ مِنْ ذَكَرٍ وَأُنْثَى وَجَعَلْنَاكُمْ شُعُوبًا وَقَبَائِلًا لِتَعَارَفُوا إِنَّا أَقْرَمَكُمْ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ أَتْقَاكُمْ إِنَّ اللَّهُ عَلِيمٌ خَبِيرٌ Allah SWT says in Surah Al-Hujurat, O people, O mankind, we created you from a male and a female, and then we made you into these nations and tribes so that you may know one another, and know that the best of you in the sight of Allah are the ones with the most God consciousness in their heart, and know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all-knowing and all-seeing. Our beloved Messenger وسلم, was leaving us with this reminder. This disease will remain in humanity. 
And this message is the only way, not just to uproot the evil of tribalism, but it's the only way to truly appreciate the beauty of these nations and tribes. There is a beauty in them. Allah makes it clear in this verse. He willed that we be separated in this way. But the beauty in them is that you learn that you need one another. When Allah says, لِتَعَرَفُوا Implicitly what it means is every single tribe, every single nation will find in the other nations things that they need to learn, things that they can benefit from, things that they can grow between one another. And so it produces this natural love in humanity, it produces this natural codependence in humanity, and it produces this natural humility in humanity. None of you is perfect alone. Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ahadun ahad, perfect by himself. The rest of you need one another. And the best of you will only be those that are the purest of heart. I wanted to remind us of this today for a few reasons. I know, wallahi I know, there is so much we still have to do for the immediate situation. And I don't, I don't believe in defeatism. I remain optimistic. All of those thousands dead, maybe they've now reached the tens of thousands when they pull out all those dead bodies from the rubble, all of them victorious with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Shuhada, walhamdulillah. As some of our brothers and sisters in Palestine have been telling us, as they dig up the rubble, they are shocked by how strong the scent of musk is. Walhamdulillah. La ilaha illallah. All of them shuhada. Rejoice, my dear brothers and sisters. Allah is taking them to a far better place. And I don't believe that actions are meaningless. I know they don't feel like they do a lot. Call your representatives. Let them know. I know that PAC has put out a call. Today is the day to demand ceasefire. Call your representatives. Again and again and again. And let them know this is a cause we're not going to be forgotten. It's not going to be forgotten. Protest. Do all you can do. No good deed for the immediate situation is too small. Allah sees it. And Allah will give you reward for it. And Allah will bring victory through it, inshaAllah. But I also know many of us are feeling that fatigue. It's been four weeks now. It's starting to feel like this played out like many of us thought it would play out. The death toll would be huge. They won't be able to achieve what they said they were going to achieve. And then when the superpowers of the world decide it's been enough death, they'll stop it. But my dear brothers and sisters, I also know that many of us, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ripped off the mask for many of us. I've seen so many young Western Muslims saying this over the last four weeks. There were still some of us that really believed when they talked about human rights, when they talked about human brotherhood, when they talked about civil rights, they really believed it. Yeah, they're, they're a little, they just don't have the full picture, but they really believe it. And Allah has ripped that mask right off. The veil has been removed from your eyes. Alhamdulillah. But if we fall into the old ways of just being distracted with our lives, this lesson may leave us. The blessing of this lesson may leave us. Or even worse, if we lean into this reality with the tribalism of our own, with the hatred of our own, with the anger of our own against theirs, we will be a failed enterprise. Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam 
never replaced one tribalism with another, one oppression with another. He never made one call to a tribe in, in lieu of Quraysh. In fact, he was offered this by some of the tribes. When he went around the year before he was exiled to Medina, he went around to some of the tribes. Some of them offered. They told him, we will take you in and defend you with one promise, that after your death, the leadership comes to us. And our beloved messenger Muhammad وسلم, in his moral clarity and in his belief that my mission is greater than this told them, the, the, the control of this earth belongs to Allah, he'll give it to whom he wills. That's not a promise I'm willing to make. He was willing to sacrifice strength rather than give in to tribalism from another source to gain power over Quraysh. And I don't want my young brothers and sisters in this audience or even my older brothers and sisters to fall into some of these movements that have come out. We have allies, walhamdulillah. They remain our allies. But we have our own philosophy. The ummah of Muhammad has its own ends and its own means. And both the ends and the means have to be beloved to Allah. Do not abandon this call. Wallahi, the evil you're seeing in the Holy Land will only be fully uprooted with the call to La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. And this evil that has spread across the earth with wanting death of millions of people across the global south as they call it can only be uprooted by the message of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Don't you abandon it, O Ummah of Muhammad. Stay firm. Stay firm on this message. Commit to yourself to it. And know your entire life here in this country can be devoted to it. And I know there's already think tanks being put together on how the ummah in this nation, in this country, can take the next step. If your hearts are there, Allah will open the doors for us. Inshallah. I want to leave you, my dear brothers and sisters, with this one thought. I promise... Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. I already said it. So we'll leave it there, inshallah. Nothing will uproot this evil the way La ilaha illallah will uproot this evil. Ah, the thought has come back to me. Alhamdulillah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. One of the greatest victories that I have seen, and I'm sure many of you have seen it, this death and destruction that we've seen has had a very interesting byproduct. And it's not a byproduct, it's Allah's will. It's the same thing that happened after the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq where person after person after person after being exposed to the gleaming beauty of the Ghazans opened the Qur'an for the first time in their lives. I'm sure many of you, so I've seen dozens of them myself, individuals online, on their own saying, I cannot believe what is it that gives these people this strength where bombs can drop on their head and still they say, God is great. And they open the Qur'an for the first time and they have become Muslim. Christians, atheists, Jews coming to the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through this destruction and murder. Look at this victory Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing you. Wallahi la ilaha illallah will uproot the evil of the earth if we just stay committed to it the way our brothers and sisters in Gaza are. Oh Allah, all thanks and praise are due to you until you are pleased with us. And all thanks and praise are due to you if you become pleased with us. Ya Allah, forgive us our sins and accept from us our repentance. Oh Allah, we ask of you Jannah and we seek refuge in you from the hellfire. Oh Allah, please send an abundance of peace and prayers upon our beloved Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
O you who turns the hearts, keep our hearts steadfast on Islam. Make beloved to us everything that is beloved to you, and make hated to us everything that is hated to you. Ya Allah, you know the state of our brothers and sisters in Gaza better than we do. You know the state of our brothers and sisters in the West Bank better than we do. You know what they need more than we do, Ya Allah. We ask you now, Ya Allah, to envelop them in your mercy. Ya Allah, give strength to their hearts. Ya Allah, give strength to their hearts. Ya Allah, give strength to their hearts. Ya Allah, accept all their dead as shuhada. And Ya Allah, we ask that you take care of every oppressive, destructive tyrant on this earth. Ya Allah, we recognize our state. We have been unable to stop this evil, but we know everything is in your hands. And we call to you now, Ya Allah, all power is yours. We ask that you use it to destroy those looking to kill innocent life on this earth. Ya Allah, we ask that you guide us, that you guide others through us, and you make us a means for this ummah and this world to be guided. الله أكبر الله أكبر أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة حي على الفلاح قد قامت الصلاة قد قامت الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله استووا واستقيموا يرحمكم الله straighten the rows turn your hearts towards Allah سبحانه وتعالى Close the gaps and try to pray as if it's your last chance before he takes you back to meet him. Allahu Akbar. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Ar Rahmanir Rahim. Maliki Awumiddin. إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين آمين بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر الله أكبر سمع الله لمن حمد الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين 
قل هو الله أحد الله الصمد لم يلد ولم يولد ولم يكن له كفوا أحد الله أكبر سمع الله لمن حمد الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر السلام عليكم ورحمة الله السلام عليكم ورحمة الله السلام عليكم uh, tonight we actually have a special program here um, the heads of the Muslim Legal Fund are going to be here giving a talk about how to talk about Palestine in the workplace what you can say, what you can't say, what you should say, what you shouldn't say. Um, and then following that, there's going to be a quick night of prayer, inshallah, ICPC and about 30 other masajid in northern New Jersey, or in all of New Jersey, um, are all doing a night of prayer in their respective masajid. So that'll be on right after. Tomorrow there's going to be a rally in Washington, D.C. Unfortunately, our buses are sold out. Uh, so if you have not bought a ticket, you have to go down by yourself. Um, now, today, tomorrow, if you can't make it to DC, there's one in Princeton at two o'clock as well. Inshallah, Sunday in Fort Lee. Who else has one? That's it. Okay.